Hello and welcome. Today we've got Soul Luckman with us and we're going to be discussing Cali the Destroyer and we are going to go into what that actually means and what it is. Now, just before we begin, you can subscribe to my Telegram channel and to nicholasvenyarmin.com for my free email updates. And if you're watching this for the first time on YouTube, I will leave the link below in the description for the full interview. So thank you for joining me and how are you, sir? Oh, I'm great. I'm in sunny Florida, you know, taking advantage of some surfing, uh, that kind of thing. How are you doing? Sounds very good. Very close to Mar-a-Lago. Very exotic. Sounds. Yes. I mean, I'm yeah. here in. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just north of the uh, of the real White House. Wow. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm here in uh, cloudy London, but this week's been lovely. We've had some good sunshine and I'm here in the studio, so I wish I could be out, but you know, I'm privileged to have you as well on my show. So yeah, no, thanks. So I've been well, very good. So me. yeah. So tell me, um, um let, let's start with you. Um, let's speak about Kali the Destroyer. Um, and you, you tell me what 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 is it? What's it about? And what is it that you really want to bring forward to the viewers today? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I'll, I'll tell you what. Since uh, since uh, this is going to be new to everybody, I'll, I'll I will read the copy from the back cover. Okay, so that'll give you an idea of what the story is about. If you were just picking this up, absolutely. Best friends, check. Illegal lovers, check. Mythological entities, check. Cali and Juice aren't discovering love. They're discovering they've always been in love since the dawn of creation. In this page-turner of a sci-fi tale set in an Orwellian future seeded in the dystopian present, resistance to the Archons appears futile. That is, until the goddess and her consort spectacularly reappear straight out of ancient Gnosticism to take on the control matrix of the fatherland. Will the luminous child awaken in humanity before it's too late? Wow. Okay, so... Would you like to explain what that means and 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 the depths of of the meaning of that? Sure, sure. Um, the The book is in many ways a kind of meditation on uh, on Gnosticism and and a telling of the not the the Gnostic story of the fallen goddess. This is what John Lash, uh, that I'm whom I'm deeply indebted to, would call the fallen goddess scenario, and it's the idea that that Mother Earth is a literal divine being a sentient woman uh, of divine nature that, that we inhabit. And she is literally our mother. It is our mother earth. So the Gnostics and the, the, the writings that were recovered uh, in various places, but the, the Nag Hammadi writings that, that were uh, discovered in 1945 of all strange years in, in Egypt, uh, these Gnostic texts, these fragments of these ancient texts tell the story that John Lash in his book, not in his, not in his image, was able to put together as the fallen goddess scenario. And it involves how we got here and who our enemies are, what the nature of evil is, what we can do about it. These are the kinds of questions that, that were uh, questions and answers that were presented uh, with in this material. So what I did is I wrote a novel about it. I'll give you just a little bit of backstory on, on how the novel happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, the last novel I wrote was called Snooze, A Story of Awakening, and it, it won some awards. It had some success, and it's a, about um, a young boy 
learning to harness the power of his dreams. It's a novel about lucid dreaming, parallel realities, uh, Hindu mysticism. It's a very, very uh, spiritual, visionary type of novel. That novel was given to me in a kind of download. I woke up one day and it was just there. The whole plot was there and I started writing and it just, uh, I wrote essentially what I was given. The same thing happened with Callie back at the end of 2019. I went to bed one night, thought I was going to get a good night's sleep. And instead I spent the entire night feeling kind of electrified as I downloaded the entire plot of this novel. Now, the strange thing about this is that the plot starts out in the present day with a pandemic, which was actually a, a pandemic, And it goes through the entire depopulation, vaccine agenda, the eugenics, all of it, and ends up in this dystopian future because it wasn't stopped. What's incredibly bizarre about that is that it, I got this plot at the end of 2019. Think about that. I had not even heard of, of this this uh, alleged virus or anything like that. This was before it broke in the Western media. So I began writing this novel and I wrote it as the pandemic unfolded. Right. So you're saying that this was a dream that then you wrote down? No, I was awake. I was awake and I was given this entire plot involving everything we've experienced, practically all of the control, all of the divide and conquer, all of the use of racism and the 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 race problems associated with this to end up in a highly segregated futuristic society with a tiny elite controlling a bunch of slaves, basically, after depopulation. And how did you receive this? Well, I don't know exactly. It, it came through just from this source that I got snoozed from, I suppose. I know there's another writer, interestingly, a Gnostic writer, very famous, Philip K. Dick. He wrote uh, Man in the High Castle. He wrote a bunch of different things. And he claimed to download novels this way from a goddess who had a name <laughs> that you know was kind of a strange name. And that's all he was ever told about that experience. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe the goddess gave this to me. I don't know. But in any case, I felt like I was chosen to write this story, selected, sort of commandeered, and, and I could not do it. I just realized immediately that it was, it was too compelling as a, as a narrative not to, to write it, so I did it. I mean, I had other plans for this last year. I was, it didn't involve writing another novel. I was trying to bring out a, a book, uh, a memoir that I wrote that's self-illustrated, and I'm, I'm a visual artist as well, and so it's a, it's a humorous kind of Peter Mayle meets Anthony Bourdain kind of uh, book uh, called Musings from a Small Island. And I was going to bring that out and that got completely shelved. And I'm going to be bringing that out later this year. So would you say it was more of a download, like maybe a spiritual telepathy type of download that you received? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Very much. So. And, and the way it came through in one lump and just one massive plot very it's a very complicated plot in a way it was just downloaded it had all the hallmarks of that of the of what i experienced with snooze when this entire very complex story just came through and i, I had it from the beginning and i just started working on it okay okay cool so so let's go more deeper in then sure um I'll tell you, uh, let me let me uh, let me explain a little bit about the Fallen Goddess scenario as it sure. as it applies to this book. And again, this is going back to John Lash's 
uh, his his piecing together of the Gnostic story and reaching a rather different conclusion in terms of what they what they were saying about the nature of reality. They were basically called Gnostics because they disagreed with the early Christian fathers who considered them heretics. Mm-hmm. They were not a they were not in any in any real sense an early Christian sect or anything like that. They were against the fundamental patriarchal nature of Christianity because they were in they they claimed to have regular communion with the goddess. Mm-hmm. We told them a very very different story about the nature of reality, and the story that that John was able to piece together in a in a fine work of scholarship called Not in His Image, and John's been compared to. Joseph Campbell. I mean, he's on that level, very high-level scholarship. The, this story, the fallen goddess scenario, involves a a scenario where where the goddess Sophia. So that's that's a pretty pretty well-known name. Some people call her Gaia. Some people say Gaia Sophia or Gaia Sophia to not confuse it with the Greek Sophia. But anyway, so she's called Sophia, and she's a geneticist living in the center of the galaxy with the originator, who is God to the Gnostics. Her role is to create biological species, and she has a partner named Thelite that she does this with. Mm -hmm. She has a nickname, which means precocious. She's young for an aeon, and that's the name for these divine beings who live with the originator. They're sort of like angels, I suppose. So she gets very anxious about this experiment after she and Thelite create the Anthropos, which is the blueprint for humanity. It is the genetic blueprint for humanity. Because this is a different experiment. They've never done this before. They have put into the Anthropos a transformational potential that they've never put there, and they call it the luminous child. So she's really excited about this experiment, and she falls to dreaming at the edge of the Pleroma, which is the galactic center. And she suddenly finds herself with the Anthropos clutched to her breast, spinning out into space, which is called the Kenoma. And she spins and spins and spins and panics, basically. And in her panic, she inadvertently, perhaps in relation to uh, carrying the strain of the anthropos with her, she creates an extraterrestrial species of very dark beings called archons. Mm-hmm. They're sort of born out of her panic and her shadow side. They would be our older brothers and sisters, actually. They come in two types, archons do. According to the the the, the uh, this interpretation by John Lash, you have the drone archons, which are Borg-like, gray, gray alien-type beings, sort of aborted fetuses. And then you have the leaders, the elites of the archons, the Dracos, including the Lord Archon, who is a giant dragon-like creature with a kind of lion's face or mouth, who thinks that he's God, that he created everything, and is, he's totally delusional because he's blind. His name in Aramaic is Saklos, which means fool. So he's literally a blind fool who thinks he's God. Mm-hmm. So this is this 
this ends up being what we're up against in a way is this archontic structure because they are mind parasites who get inside especially certain susceptible human populations who, who we might call the Illuminati, the Cabal, the Deep State or whatever. And generation after generation, these, these uh, dark people on our planet commune with the Archons and the Lord Archons to receive their marching orders to carry out this multi-generational, multi-century, multi-millennial game plan to bring humanity to heal, to uh, create something like on the Georgia Guidestones with maybe 500,000 people ruled by an elite and that sort of thing, and ultimately to terraform and, and conquer the planet itself. So when you when you look at from a Gnostic perspective, what is the nature of evil? I've just defined the, the origins and the nature of evil. It has mm -hmm. to do with subterfuge, with the creation of lie on top of lie on top of lie, so that you ultimately are living in a kind of simulacrum of reality, very matrix-like indeed. So in the Gnostic writings, you have this is all of this happened, by the way, uh, before the uh, the, the archons were created before she became the planet, and ultimately she gave rise to the human species. And so we're living on her literal body, right? According to this, according to this model, she had an encounter with the Lord Archon, and he was being very, very overweening and arrogant. And this is what she said to him. It's very fascinating. This is from one of the Gnostic texts called "On the Origin of the World." She said. You are mistaken, blind one. There is an immortal child of light who came into this realm before you and who will appear among your duplicate forms in your simulated world. And in the consummation of all your works, their entire deficiency of truth will be revealed and dissolved by this luminous child. Wow. Right. So... When you earlier spoke about brothers and you know older or you know older brother and sisters, um, does that include the Adri the uh, the Adromedans? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, I I'm I absolutely believe that there are there's intelligent life throughout the galaxy. There's enormous amount of data supporting that, but the if you buy into the story of the Archons, the Archons would be in control of this solar system. Mm -hmm. right. Therefore, therefore they, would they would have a lot of control over who comes and goes in the solar system. They also have the ability to create such holographic reality, uh, reality overlays that you can't, it's, it's just like with CGI now, they are the ultimate deep, fake artists they've mastered it and they can also fool the human mind they're literally mind parasites mm -hmm. so it calls into question many of the stories we hear about other ets and involvement in our solar system because they could have made all of it up or some of it up to fool us so we really don't know for sure what's going on and when we say we don't know, you're talking about things that they may have made up, such as the moon, which some people believe it was located and placed where it is by ETs 500,000 years ago. And maybe the sun is a natural thing that was not placed there by the ETs. Is that what you mean? 
Well, I simply mean that you have to look at all narratives that are official narratives or even things that come out in the alternative media with a very skeptical uh, eye. Right. Because they, their fingerprints are on everything in our world. So, and they have a very black and white, they have, they're a binary intelligence. So it, when they say one thing, they usually mean it's opposite or nearly it's opposite. This is how they this is how they work. And you this is why you can tell that the media and the governments, everyone is really archontified because they are acting like archons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, with regard to the moon, actually in the Gnostic writings, the moon is a natural body mm-hmm. and it's relate and the, it was to be placed here alongside the, with the sun. And there was going to be a natural earth that was going to, when it was ready, that was going to be the birthplace for humanity. So what happened was Sophia ended up becoming the earth in it through an accident and it changed the experiment. But rather than stop the experiment, she, she went to sleep and rather than intervene, her, her consort Thelite decided to watch over her basically and allow the experiment to proceed to see what would happen under these unprecedented exper- uh, circumstances. So interestingly, also in the Gnostic text, the sun was considered to be a sentient being. The sun was originally loyal uh, to the Lord Archon, believe it or not. But when Sophia stood up to him in that quote that I just read, the sun changed her allegiance. I think uh, the sun is actually feminine in in, uh, these texts and became a follower of Sophia. Interesting, right. So I'm, again, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm providing a perspective as if the Gnostic line of thinking were true. You know, let's right. try that on, right? Okay. It's interesting. So what do you think will have, you know, what was the original experiment? I, I still think it was to, to bring forth this luminous child. It was just going to be happening on a natural planet. My understanding is that there were probably other aeons who helped construct planets. Right. And when we speak of aeons, do we speak them as physical beings or more of consciousness and energy? Well, Sophia is an aeon and she's about as physical as it gets. Meaning the earth. Yeah. She's made of granite and water and trees and all these things. Right. Okay. So we emerge from her dreaming mind. We are products of her dream in this model. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you believe that the earth has some type of consciousness? I personally absolutely do. Yes. Uh, So did the Gnostics. John Lash, you know, I don't, I don't by any means believe everything that I've ever read of his or that he said, I'm not a follower in that way, but he claims to have actually met the goddess on numerous occasions uh, doing, doing what the Gnostics did to get, get there. And that involved taking certain substances. They used a kind of ergot that they, they knew how to brew. And then they would, they would go down into a, uh, a an underground chamber, uh, two, at a, two at a time, one to, who's taken the, the, the concoction and the other who is sort of acting as a scribe and a helper and a guide and a comforter. Because it's very, very intense. They call themselves the standing race because in order to commune with the goddess, when she approached, 
you would have to stand or otherwise it sounds to me like she could kill you by just by her sheer energy right stand very straight and tall then all the kundalini all the energy that would be coming through that experience uh would flow through you and not harm you so they call themselves the standing race let's speak about where um, the cabal and the matrix and the takedown of the cabal all fits in in this please yeah absolutely so if you look at this quote i chose this quote uh, as my epigraph because it, it it has all of these elements embedded in it very very succinctly so first of all you've got this idea that the archons have created a simulated world and there are the all of these duplicate forms, which is basically like roboticized people, people who are essentially human archons who are taken over and are walking around. Either they are sort of in on it at an Illuminati planning level, or they have been duped by the narrative and they're walking around with masks on their faces, getting jabs, and just essentially acting like lobotomized people. So they are essentially archontified humans many of whom may have even lost their soul or be barely hanging on to it from these jabs. Right. So, so that's a, that's not a pleasant thing to think about, but it's uh, something that I think may be going on. And I was nearly killed by vaccines years ago. So I have a lot of experience in this realm. I can tell you that. And so in the consummation of all of your work, so at the moment when it seems that the archons are about to enslave humanity, to depopulate and enslave humanity, we read their their entire their work, and in the consummation of all your works, their entire deficiency of truth will be two things: revealed and dissolved by this luminous child. So it's a two prong attack or two phase situation that we're in, starting with the revelation, all the light being shined on the situation, all the truth coming out. We're finally learning truth after truth after truth after truth. It's happening in real time, like, like it's never happened before, probably ever on this planet. But that is followed by the dissolution of those works. So it is this luminous child, and we could talk about what that might mean, but it is this luminous child that reveals and dissolves the archontic matrix. So it's like a war. Yes, I think you could call it that. Uh, another way of looking at it, however, is that it involves that the war is an in internal war in some ways, if that makes any sense, where we have to understand who we are. What if we are the luminous child? What if we collectively are the luminous child? Because we are currently shining the light on their, their matrix. We haven't dissolved it yet, but we're shining an intense lights from all over the planet on it. That tells me we're, we are the luminous child. Mm -hmm. and we're happening. It's happening right now. And then once that reaches a certain critical mass, a certain threshold, a certain frequency, however you want to look at it, then we can actually move on to dissolving the 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 matrix but what i will say about that is that the the word dissolve does not is not exactly the same as destroy even though i've chosen the term destroy for my the title of my my book i'm playing off of cali the destroyer 
with a K, that's the title of the Ma, of the Mahavidya, the mm-hmm. aspect of the goddess. But actually, my book is spelled with a C, Kali, Kali, C-A-L-I. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So what I what I wanted to say is that uh, there is a I wrote a, a book a few years ago, uh, a satirical dictionary called the Angels Dictionary. And I define shadow side this way. The shadow side is the self you encounter when you do not look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. So we have not looked in the mirror. We don't know who we are. We don't know who's staring back at us. We don't know what our potential is. We Absolutely. have not identified ourselves other than as our shadow selves, our lesser selves. When we can look at ourselves in the mirror, and rather than seeing some little cowering mouse, we see some lion staring back at us. Then that's a truer representation of who we really are. And we can go to the next level collectively, which may not involve violence at all. It may simply be self-awareness leading to the ability to say no and stand up for ourselves collectively. Right. I see. So what's the objective of, of this model that you would like to, um, you know, pass on to the viewers? The objective is to tell a good story, first of all, to entertain. Uh, uh, that's always got to be your, your first objective as a writer. Mm. A second objective is to tell the fallen goddess scenario in a non-academic way, potentially to a, a, a large audience of different ages. Mm-hmm. So that people become more aware of where we may have actually come from. And in so doing, to awaken more people to the importance of reconnecting with nature, the natural environment, with the the divine feminine, the, you know, and even the divine masculine, because they're they're related. You have in the two aeons in the Gnostic story, and this is definitely a part of Kali the Destroyer, you have, this is the ultimate twin flames novel. This is on a kind of cosmic level, lovers from Absolutely. the beginning of creation, right? And so they represent, they not only, in, in the Gnostic story, they not only represent the divine feminine and divine masculine, they enact it and pass it on to their genetic creations, which would be humanity. Mm-hmm. So archetypally, we have within us every every person, regardless of gender or sexuality, has both divine feminine and divine masculine attributes. So I think coming to terms with our wholeness and being able to integrate those is would be a huge step forward as we turn into luminous children, whatever that ultimately means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's basically to give us some kind of you know, understanding of who we are and where we're going and how we can overcome the, you know, and shine light, the light that we are shining to bring down the matrix so that we can move forward. Yeah, that's well put. Absolutely well put. But it's it's more than just theoretical. There's a there's a plot line involving something called the language of the birds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are these people that are called the bird tribes, and that's an homage to Ken Carey's work. But uh, So I have the bird tribes in my book. They speak a language called the language of the birds. It is a sacred language. And 
what I what is is not explicit in any way in the book, but this is the the nonfiction aspect of it is that I've written two books about the language of the birds, the sacred language of the birds as a healing language. This is how I cured my own vaccine damage. I nearly died from this experience from from getting vaccinated uh, a couple of decades ago, and I tried everything in the world to get well, and nothing really could make a dent in my illness in any serious way. I, I, did some things, I did some things that helped. Qigong helped some, allergy elimination work helped, but I had so many symptoms, I was just a wreck. Mm -hmm. And when I had a series of mystical experiences, I was given, along with my partner, we were given these linguistic codes that were all vowels. And we were told to sing them and think them in a certain way in combination. And when we did that, I was made well. And that's due to the frequencies, right? It's due to the power of the vowels, which would be the, the creational power in, this, in the, the model of genetics and consciousness that I've been working in now for over two decades or mm. around two decades. The vowels, the world was constructed by the use of vowels. It's why they are taken out of many ancient languages when they're written because they're considered sacred. Right. I believe that it's the vowels, which are, you know, sounds that we can make are frequencies and vibrations. Maybe that open up the pineal gland that possibly allows to heal the issue that we have in our bodies or even spiritually. Yeah, well, the, and that's, I, I agree totally about uh, the, the pineal gland the potential there. I mean, the thing about the language of the birds is that it could be used in various ways in mm -hmm. Cali. It's ultimately used as, a major tool to bring down the archontic matrix. Right. But right. in practical terms, it fortifies you against all kinds of toxins and genetic damage and that kind of thing, because the vowels actually correspond to the nucleotide bases of DNA and RNA. Interesting. And so when you sing these vowels and think them, so you're sort of combining sound and light, you're actually speaking to the DNA and the DNA can interface with your energetic blueprint and so if it's damaged if that blueprint is damaged the you can actually instruct it to heal itself and when it does that it begins to heal the dna and then the dna can he help heal the organism hmm. i like that healing the you know it's, um, a language that speaks to the dna you know yes, I, I, I'm, when i'm when i'm uh, relaxing in the evening and uh, you know i i go on youtube for an example and I put some meditation music. I'm always thinking, you know, what, are, what do I want to manifest? But this time I'm going to look up for some maybe, you know, DNA, you know, type of music that and see what comes up, really. I'm interested in that because well, I do believe that it's, do all, it's all vibration. DNA music. Sorry. Do a search with the term DNA music and you'll be shocked at how much will come up. Wow. I'm a big believer in frequencies. Now I've, I've learned so much interviewing people like you and many others when it comes to frequencies, um, because this is a language or a world that we should have been exposed to or told to when we were kids in school. And unfortunately this is so untold that when you speak about this, it's, you know, you're another conspiracy theorist again, you know? <laughs> right, right. It's you very know. true. The thing about it is there have been many very rigorous scientific studies performed on the power of prayer, for example, to heal. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dr. Larry Dossie has written books about this phenomenon. He's a brilliant writer. He was a cardiologist, and then he's become a best-selling author in recent decades. He, he has a beautiful model of eras one, two, and three of medicine. So you start out with era one in, in Western medicine, and it's basically me mechanized medicine. It's, it's the body as a machine. And we're going, we can do surgery, we can do this, we can manipulate it, whatever. That's era one. Then you, you move to era two, which is mind-body medicine, where the power of positive thinking comes into play. And that's all about sort of epigenetics. So you go from genetics to epigenetics, which is the ability of the mind to improve your health by interacting with your, your genetic structure. Now we're entering era three, according to Dossie, which is non-local medicine, which is distance healing, which is spiritual medicine that transcends time and even uh, space and even time, mm -hmm. where you can actually heal things retroactively, maybe ancestral karma, that kind of thing. You know, it's really extraordinary. So he has a very expansive model for what's going on. And I call era three metagenetics. And it's basically the power of consciousness to heal in non-local ways that don't rely just on having a positive attitude, for example. Absolutely, because it is to do a lot with the pineal gland that's been shut down or shrunk by, you know, since we were born. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, you know, Snooze, uh, the last novel I wrote is all about the, you know, awakening, uh, the, the uh, mm. decalcifying and, and uh, energizing and awakening the pineal gland. So, so, I mean, where, where can people find and have a read um, of this book model? So my website is crowrising.com, crowrising.com. Mm -hmm. And if, there's a books tab there. So you can look, I've got, I've written, you know, a bunch of different books. And so you can look at the, the different books. Callie is in pre-order. It's coming, it's coming out on June 20th. So right. there's a, you can actually uh, pre-order a copy and get a 20% discount until, until that date. Snooze is available. Actually, you can get Snooze for free if you sign up, if you share Cali and you sign up for my newsletter. So if you click on either of those pages, you'll see information about that. And there's also links to the, the Regenetics books uh, from, from, uh, from that website as well. The, the first book on, on the Regenetics method is called Conscious Healing. And the second one is potentiate your DNA. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'd that be very available in Spanish as well. Well, I'd be very honored to um, leave the links below in the description, and um, for people to have a look and and order their copy. These are the types of books where they, you know, they won't they won't be distributed by big companies because of the world we live in is so corrupt. So it's a pleasure to help you distribute this knowledge to people and, uh, and share some light. Oh, thanks. Uh, I mean, sometimes uh, I've had a lot of people who have bought uh, Potentiate Your DNA in, in places like Barnes and Noble. So it's actually been out there in, in some, some of the larger bookstores. And it's, uh, I mean, I've sold a, a lot of copies over the years of, of the Regenetics books. Uh, they perform remarkably well as self-published books. I, I can't really complain at all. Okay, that's fantastic. Well yeah, done. They've been referenced in other people's books and that kind of thing. So that's been, you know, a really, a really fun thing to see just 
build over time as more and more people become aware of this mm-hmm. emerging paradigm, this non-local era three paradigm that we're in. Excellent. Well, so thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's been amazing. Is there anything that you'd like to say to the listeners before we um, end this interview? Oh, yeah, I do, I do want to say one more thing. Uh, we do a, a monthly potentiation ceremony. Potentiation is the first of the DNA activations in Regenetics. So the first Sunday of every month, we do a, 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 a global ceremony for anyone who would like to sign up, and it's free to sign up. So we're doing one this Sunday. I don't know when this video will be published, but uh, we do the fir- do that the first Sunday of every month. So please uh, have a look at that. Uh, you can go to Phoenix regenetics.org phoenixregenetics.org and uh it's the worldwide potentiation ceremony excellent well thank you so so much for that and um we'll definitely speak again sometime soon and god bless thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed meeting you thank you no you likewise thank you so much and god bless you bye-bye thank you 